Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I'm your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your Cobra intern who knows you're never too evil for good manners, codename Legion Cub. You can follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast, on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Uh, and if you have input, uh, the best thing to do really is just shoot us a message on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast. Let us know what you want to hear. Uh, you can check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Last week, I reviewed the uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Super 7 Ultimate Bat and the Pyramid of Darkness set. And very soon now, uh, we'll have some other Joe reviews going up. And this is this is the episode where we like to do something we call segments, where we'll have uh, different G.I. Joe topics to discuss from vehicles to characters to whatever. But thanks to Christian, we once again have sort of a megasode looming in front of us. Are you guys ready to review one of the greatest landmarks in the history of G.I. Joe? Heck yeah. Yes. Uh, So, Christian, this was your call this review this month that has turned into really the the focal point of the entire episode uh why don't you tell us why you chose this and and why it seemed like the right time to do it so every year you can pretty much be guaranteed that i am going back and rereading certain story arcs from the marvel gi joe comics I do this with a lot of my favorite comic lines, um, but I I realize, you know, we've touched on a few things here or there, but we've never gone all the way back to the beginning and the impact that G.I. Joe number one had on me and my friends in elementary school who read comics I, it's very hard to put into words. It was like a perfect storm on how they just uh, assaulted all your senses between the, and we'll get into all this later, but between the toys, the commercials, the comic coming out, and we were all very much superhero kids. And G.I. Joe number one just completely sucked us in. But the G.I. Joe that is in the comics is different than the G.I. Joe that's in the cartoon that's honestly different than the G.I. Joe in the later issues of the comic. Yeah. So it's like this amazing time capsule of, to me, what is the the purest form of the intention of G.I. Joe when Hasbro decided to bring it back and make it G.I. Joe a real American hero? And 
it it also didn't read like a lot of the other comics that we were you know getting at at the time um a lot of times toy tie-in comics sort of always talked down to the reader and to us gi joe was like micronauts in that it, it they didn't kiddify this comic in any way shape or form so i thought you know we've we've never gone back to the start of it all we had this amazing dragon con where we casted gi joe the movie well now let's go back and look at what marvel thought gi joe the movie was probably going to be well, and it's interesting, and and for any of the listeners who haven't caught on yet, we are going to be reviewing this. This entire episode is focusing on GI Joe: A Real American Hero Number One, uh, which was released on May thirty first, nineteen eighty two, seventh birthday, forty years ago. Oh, that's right! Yeah. Wow, that's wild. That is literally your birthday. Um, script by Larry Hama, editor uh, was Tom DeFalco. Art by Glennis Wayne, Herb Trimp, Don Perlin, Jim Novak, and Rick Parker. Now, some of those names were involved with the backup story, Hot Potato, that we're not going to be covering this episode. We are focusing on Operation Lady Doomsday. Uh, it was 52 pages because it was an extra length primary story along with that backup story. The cover price, $1.50. And let me just tell you right now, paying a dollar fifty for a comic book in 1982 when I think prices were sixty cents. Still, sixty cents, uh, yep. Uh, so were I mean, they that, that was, much by that point? Yeah, they were. They were okay. sixty cents in '82. Um, it was it was a big deal, but this felt this comic is a big deal. Now, I will full disclosure say I didn't start reading the comic until a few issues in. My biggest memory initially is of the commercial for issue number two for whatever reason that's the one that sticks out in my head big time but i know i didn't start reading the comic until a few more issues in uh because i've i've been rereading this over the past few months rereading the entire marvel run and certain issues have jumped out at me where they're just ingrained in my memory uh, and I got to, I want to say it was issue like nine or 10 was the first one where I was like, oh man, I remember every panel of this. You know how, you know, at our age, <laughs> the memory is a funny thing. <laughs> and while without context, I could not sit down and tell you the contents of issue of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero number nine. Once I sat down and started reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember every issue, every every panel of this, every word of this is coming back to me as I read it with crystal clarity. Uh, but this first issue is a little bit different. I, I only read it, you know, many, many years ago when I went back and started building my collection of single issues of, of Real American Hero. Probably, I want to say early... Gosh, it might have actually been late 90s now that I'm thinking about it. It wasn't even early 2000s. It was earlier than that. So late 90s when I went back and started buying these issues, which at the time, I think the most I paid for one was like seven bucks. 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, that might even have been a little bit high. Uh, but I had my whole childhood run, and it was just a matter of filling in a few issues here and there. Because when, when I was a kid, when I first started reading G.I. Joe, I was getting them from, like, Kroger. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't going to the local comic shop. I was going on grocery trips with my mom and getting whatever issue was in the magazine section at Kroger. So I didn't have a full run as a kid. I was getting, you know, issues here and there. Yeah. I was, it was the spinner rack at the magic market convenience store near my house. And I actually didn't start reading the comics until a little bit later. Like I, I always try to think back, when did I start? And it really wasn't probably until the thirties that I was reading them on a regular basis. So it had been out for a few years at that point, but I was yeah. able to go back. My, there was treats that I got from my, from my dad for, you know, doing well in school or whatever was he got, he went back and got me like the first few issues, um, you know, that at the time were 10, 20 bucks a piece, which was a lot of money for a comic book. Yeah. Yeah absolutely well and that's i up until okay 1986 i believe is when i discovered comic shops and when i discovered uncanny x-men and had to get that every issue and so this started in 82 so it was probably 40 some odd issues in before I started getting every month's issue because that was when I discovered the comic shops and and was buying comics every single month to keep up. That's when I discovered uh, the subscription model which I started getting around like probably issue 40 or 41. Now were you subscribing to the comic shop or like through the mail? Through the mail. Like I was oh, getting wow. a G.I. Joe comic every month in the mail for several for like three probably about three years so my experience wow. with subscriptions was i i discovered um i guess it was titan comics and and you know mom would take me there once a month to pick up whatever books i needed but then i found out that marvel would send you the comics directly through the mail so i subscribed to uncanny x-men through the mail but discovered that when you did that, you received them after the comic shops did, and they came packaged like no backboard. They would be bent up and shoved in the mailbox. Yep. Just wrapped in a piece of like brown yeah. paper. Well, my, that these, subscription center crease. These yep. came, uh, the ones that I got were in a clear plastic bag, and there was a board in there, but it was like, it was like one of the Walmart classified card backs. Like it wasn't <laughs> going to stop anybody from bending anything. Uh, so I had a year's worth and actually I do still have uh, quite a few of those. Uh, 2009, there was a flood and I lost a lot of my comic books, uh, but I had a year's worth of uncanny X-Men with that fold in the middle. And that I, I was getting, well, Oh, you know what? I'm remembering this now. It wasn't just Uncanny X-Men. I believe there was a three, like you could subscribe to three comics mm -hmm. for a specific price. Yep. It was Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, and something else. It might have been Excalibur. I'm not sure what it was. It was three books that I would get a couple weeks after the comic shop got them. And I was so angry that <laughs> whole year. 
that I was getting my comics late and they were coming all bent up. Uh, and I, I haven't really thought about that in years until just now I remembered that. We did not have <clears throat> in rural Indiana where I was in elementary school before we moved to Kentucky. We had no local comic shops. You, you got your comics at, you know, whatever stores carry them, drug stores. Right, uh, right. We had a mom and pop bookshop. Um, but me and my friends, it, the concept of collecting wasn't necessarily there. So whoever would find a comic would buy it and then you would read it and yes. we would pass yeah. it around. So if I happened to get the new issue of G.I. Joe and my best friend got the new issue of ROM, we'd be at each other's house and they're like, okay, I finished G.I. Joe. Okay, I finished ROM. Here you go. And so we would I, we would do the same thing where we never had uh, like complete runs until then when I moved to Kentucky and I was even further rural out, there was just nobody to do that with. And that's uh, when the concept of, oh, I'm just going to hold on to these and now I can reread them whenever I want. This is awesome. Yeah, we would do the same thing. I I, I collected G.I. Joe, Uncanny X-Men and basically all the X titles. A friend of mine uh got spider-man and avengers another friend of mine got like batman well no i got batman uh maybe he got i don't know something but there were like three of us and we each collected different things and we would get, get together and and read each other's books so we stayed up with with everything that way uh so gi joe real american hero number one the first comic book to be advertised on television and this is some like really, really clever marketing business <laughs> mm -hmm. because they realized it allowed Hasbro to circumvent television regulations and advertise the franchise rather than the toy line. Because if you're advertising a toy line, you can have 10 seconds of animation. But Hasbro and Marvel realized, wait, if we advertise the comic book, Technically, we're advertising the whole enchilada, as it were, and they could have 30 seconds of high-quality animation to entice the kids into the comics, the toys, and whatever else might be happening at the time. And then later that year, they lifted the regulations. Right, 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 right. <laughs> to it where... didn't matter. You could <laughs> and have then -Man... minute or 22 minutes of animation. <laughs> yes, yeah, so and then we got He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, which is, you know, is fine. And that, that, uh, lasted for almost a decade before, uh, government regulations came down again. And we're like, no, no, you can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't like fun. <laughs> uh, so this operation lady doomsday introduces the 13 original Joes, Cobra commander, Baroness, uh, and the vehicles of the first year. And Hawk. Well, one of the first, one of the original 13. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting that the figures were already available when the comic was released, which means, and, and we've talked about kind of the era of the original 13 coming out, but haven't really nailed it down to early 1982 because I, I just, I don't know when I got my first Joe's. I remember getting them, 
I don't remember what time of year it was. Uh, I know I have Christmas pictures from 1983 of a ton of Joe stuff, but I really didn't know when in the year they came out, but it looks like they, they hit early in 1982. Yeah. Which was just a, a different, interesting thing that, uh, you know, to get that timeline and to nail it down in that way. I actually, when I was going back and look at this uh, again, it's, it was, it's kind of odd because at this time, especially with like toy comics, this was not a limited series. Mm-hmm. Right. Almost every book that came out around this time, five issue limited series. Yeah. Three, you know, three, four, five issue limited series. And this was, not only is this going to be like this is a regular title, this is a fifty-page uh, super-sized yeah. issue that's that's launching this thing. So, uh, kind of an anomaly in the world of toy comics. Uh, you know, we also got the advertising on TV, so there was a there was a lot of push behind this. Hasbro was taking some big chances. Well, and as Christian mentioned, this is it's it's it reads just like any other comic book. That that my big parallel to this. Uh, you know, Uncanny X Men. I, I talk about all the time because it's it's really is what addicted me to comic books. But GI Joe was right alongside it as uh, advanced level storytelling that, as you said, did not talk down to the reader in any way. This, if you if you were an alien from another planet, and this comic book was put in front of you you would not make the assumption that this was tied into a toy line. No. The the writing is very serious to to the point of and we'll discuss certain certain phrases, certain panels in this issue where it's actually somewhat shocking that there's a toy line tied right. to the content of this comic. But at the same time, and this is something that I observed probably for the first time really going back and reading this a couple of years ago, because this is a, a line that's made to sell toys uh, when it all comes down to it, it actually gives it some charm that most other books weren't doing. Because when you first open the page, the very first splash you see is this advertisement for the heavy artillery laser, the HAL. But it's it's great to be able to learn about the, about the vehicles you're going to see in this story. But at the same time, that's there to sell you that toy. <laughs> so it gives the story, it gives these books their own charm, even though ultimately there was an ulterior motive to, uh, to doing it. So before we dive into this, uh, I want to source everything. I uh, My copy is from the Marvel trade paperback, uh, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, Volume 1, uh, the reprint that was done in 2002. Uh, what what were you guys reading from? I was reading from a scan of the original comic on my tablet. Okay. And I am reading from Classics G.I. Joe, Volume 1. Okay. Which was put out by IDW. Okay. Okay. So we've got three completely different sources uh, that we're reading from. So let's... Uh, Let's start at the beginning here. 
Quartered in top-secret armored underground bunkers deep beneath the Army Chaplain's Assistant School at Fort Wadsworth is America's elite counter-terrorist strike force, codenamed G.I. Joe, the most fearsome rapid deployment team of all stands ready to fight anywhere, anytime, any way. What a way to open this thing up. <laughs> like, yeah. as you know, even as an adult, even as a 46 year old adult, like that, that is just an enticing couple of paragraphs right there. <laughs> but as a kid, I mean, that just seems like the coolest thing ever. Well, and then also, and, and I want to go back and, and look at the cover because it may be biased, but I still treat like this is the the best debut comic cover i think in history and i you can owe that to the late herb trempy who was the one who who penciled it um his artwork is fantastic it was part of like the big charm of gi joe but this first page the splash page is just beautiful with them raising the flag with the planes going by the explosions you see all 13 original all Joes 13 original Joes. In, in one image and this just really sets the stage for what you are getting mm-hmm. well and what was funny to me about this in rereading it today uh you know we did we discussed at the dragon con panel having kind of a pre-scene in the movie where there's some big conflict that that doesn't really have to do with the plot of the movie. It's just a battle to establish the Joes and who they are. And that's basically what this splash panel is. Mm-hmm. It, it it's this has no relevance to the rest of the issue whatsoever. It's just a cool splash panel to show you all of the characters that we're going to be dealing with, or all of the main characters we're going to be dealing with. Very very cool. Uh so. Looking at this splash panel, you know, some of the original 13 are are a little more generic than we would get later on. I can see, you know, obviously we've got Snake Eyes has his back to the camera in the front. Lots of M16s in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we've got Steeler right up front, rock and roll. Uh I'm trying to figure out who's the who this is with the glasses. That is a short fuse, maybe because it looks like he mm-hmm. might have a mortar strapped to yep. his back. Yep. And then behind him with the gloves, do we have Grand Slam and Flash? Like right? Well, no, because Flash is up on the hill. Yeah, Flash up top. Um, yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to see some of the ones that are a little bit more generic looking. Um, I think. Okay, so. Flash is up on the hill. I think this is Grand Slam. Just miscolored. Right. Well, and they're all, I mean, they're all yeah, the same. Because throughout the whole issue, they have red highlights to their uniforms. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm I'm well, process of elimination here. So we've got it looks like Breaker, maybe kind of is the one holding on to Scarlet going up the hill. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because of that. Scarlet, Flash, uh, I'm assuming that's Hawk with the flag, Stalker, uh, Zap. It looks like Zap's holding the bazooka off to the left in the back. Maybe that's Grunt. So who does that leave? So Clutch. And that's not Clutch. (laughs) I think we might have two Flashes and we're missing Clutch. (laughs) 
I think that's what's happened here. <laughs> and that's okay. Well, don't forget, there's a there's a 14th original Joe. We'll get there later. Well, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay. Uh so moving on to this into the story, we establish uh Dr. Burkhart who uh, the Lady Doomsday is a direct reference reference to Dr. Adele Burkhart who is a physicist who Almost kind of Albert Einstein-y, I think is where the inspiration might have come from. Yeah. Uh, she's not particularly fond of the military or of war. She feels like she's been tricked into developing what she didn't know were going to be weapons of mass destruction. I love these G-men, these straight-up generic black suit, black mm-hmm. hat, sunglasses G-men that they've got in these panels with her. Uh, they're on a train in the middle of some jungle somewhere for some reason. Uh, and then we get right into the action. And so these gliders that the Cobras are on, to me, these are like Ralph McQuarrie versions of the claw. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, was like, I really, really wish that someone would make toys of these. This is a Super 7 project just waiting to happen. Oh, 100%. And we're, <laughs> we're going to get into that stuff later because there's a lot of great stuff to discuss uh, as far as sort of like a missing in action type scenario. But look at the little propeller on the back of this glider. Mm-hmm. So rereading it and looking at those, there was like, that's more efficient and probably more sturdy than the actual gliders that were released. I, certainly more so than the hang gliders. Exactly. The, the uh, what the heck was the what was the, the Cobra hang glider called? The uh, Viper glider. The Viper glider. Yeah. And the Joe Falcon, was the Falcon, Falcon and the Viper. Yeah, the Falcon. Uh, so we get this great. Okay, reading this comic, there are a lot of movies that seemingly have lifted ideas from this comic. And one of them we get here is that Baroness and the other Cobra operatives were disguised as press and their camera equipment were actually guns. We have seen that in other media since this. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember what in the world it was, but I I have absolutely seen, well, the original April O'Neil action figure her video camera, you pulled the top off and it was a pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that I, that concept has been done since this comic. But what was so interesting to me about this page is Baroness's dialogue. I'll turn her face into a fine red mist. <laughs> right? I had that in my toys. <laughs> That wow. drawing, the look of horror on the doctor's face and the Baroness is like, I can give two Fs. Like, I, I love that panel. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. And the kinetic action here, um, you know, Trimpe? Trimpe, I believe, Trimpe. is how it's pronounced. His, his pencils, his storytelling panel to panel is fantastic. And the momentum is just incredible. But, so, we get Baroness, uh, grabs Dr. Burkhart, and... As as we're looking at the story as it plays out here, were you guys reminded of any movies that might have come out in the past decade? Because let me tell you, 
what 100% ripped off everything that we see right here. Do you remember a little movie called The Dark Knight? (laughs) Yeah. Where Batman goes Mm -hmm. to Japan and kidnaps a businessman by throwing a balloon out a window (laughs) and having an aircraft pick them up. Like, it's almost shot for shot the same scene, except that Christopher Nolan was smart enough to realize a helicopter was not the best vehicle to interact with a balloon. <laughs> no, no, that that <laughs> I, I'm wondering what happened to that balloon as it is right there perilously close to those uh, blades. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked out so well. Christopher Nolan realized like we need a, a low flying jet to handle this rather than a helicopter. But this is the scene from The Dark Knight. And let's keep in mind, too, the Baroness is the first named Cobra character we see in this. Yes. And she was two years away from getting a figure raid. And she's so evil. Yeah. Yeah. So in the one panel where she is throwing the doctor out the window. So if you look at the drawing, the window is raised. But they put the sound effect crash on there so when you initially read it oh wow my mind went the baroness smashed this woman through Through the the window window (laughs) in order to get like the baroness in this issue is evil she's evil 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 yeah that's a good point i didn't even catch that because you're right the window is up she's clearly jumping out the window with dr burkhart but that crash is right there. So in my head canon, this is the Gwen Stacy Spider-Man whip <laughs> neck break thing. <laughs> that window is not open and the Baroness just smashed her through because she's got a job to do. <laughs> and she's even like, you know, don't struggle or this is going to, you know, rip your shoulders out or dislocate oh, yeah. your shoulders. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and she... Oh, I love it. And and if that happens, so be it. Exactly. Right. As you long as she's alive yourself. and her brain still works. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so next we go on to the Pentagon where we meet General Flagg and General Austin. Uh, and this is, they're watching a video feed of what just happened, which I think <laughs> is great. Uh, but did you notice now? Okay. And this is where our various reprints of this may come in handy in my particular version of this on the first page of flag in austin which in the in the trade it's page eight but i don't know what the comic book page would be page five okay so page five they're very clearly in green uniforms but then on the next page they're in brown uniforms oh yeah i didn't notice that (laughs) (laughs) so that's it's all green where i'm sitting really yeah interesting so you're i we we're thinking you have scans of the original comic yeah more than likely and this is where the reprints do become inferior because the color correction can be messed up uh pages can be missing or in the case of uh idw Marvel reprinted the first 50 issues and then IDW took over. Now IDW has done everything, but uh, Marvel only did the first 50. And then after that, you can only get IDW reprints and IDW 
their first couple of volumes are a little rough. Like the lines are way too thick. The colors are off. They're, they're not very good reprints. Uh, and this goes back to something where I wish somebody would just re-release them in their original fidelity. Yeah. I mean, cause these, the color was so amazing initially in these books. I mean, yes, that's one I, of the things that draw drew me to them as a kid was that like, they were so bright and I mean, they didn't cheat a lot with the colors like a lot of other comic books yeah. were doing. Yeah. IDW has a really bad habit of doing bad, bad color correction. They did it with some of their Ninja Turtles reprints uh, or, or or the color choices, I guess, because they're reprinting the black and whites. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We got to move on with G.I. Joe. Uh, so, oh, you know what? I have to do a little research here real quick because we are introducing the G.I. Joe team special counter-terrorist unit Delta <laughs> is the official name for G.I. Joe, uh, which is like pretty awesome. Anything Delta, because at this at this point in time, when did Delta Force come out? It was around 82, 83, it was right? Around this time. Yeah. And and when I was a child, Delta Force was a very cool movie. Now, rewatching it in the last year as an adult, Delta Force is not any kind of good movie oh, gosh. at all. Delta Force came out in 1986. Oh, wow. 86? Yep. Whoa! So I was 10 years old when I saw Delta Force, and I should have recognized it <laughs> for the not very good movie that it was. So uh, what I wanted to take a look at here is in the comic book, we get a close-up of Hawk because they're pointing out this is the leader of the Joes. He's the best we've got. And in the comic... Uh, we see his file card, and it says Hawk comes from a well-established. Oh, they left out the real loaded part, but it is pretty much the same verbiage that's on the Hawk action figure file card. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and it was which and it was all Larry it writing it all. So. Right, right. <laughs> but even even with that being the case, sometimes things are changed. Right. Uh, but it does look like they pretty much lifted the actual file card and put it into the comic here, which is very cool. And of course, the page before that is when we see the original members of the team, including the 14th one, <laughs> uh, who shooter, shooter, who there, uh, of course, there has been ha has been retconned back into the world of G.I. Joe as a female character. Well, you can't tell. I mean, right. because. Uh, one of the general's hands is pointing on top of Shooter's face, so this very well could be a female. Right, as I, I believe she's an African American female in the is it the IDW comics that they did that story? I oh think yeah, that's yeah, correct. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So they they have retconned her back into the story, which I think is great. Um, obviously, the name Shooter was paid in tribute to uh, editor-in-chief Jim Shooter at the time. Who was a uh, big part of making all of this happen. Right. Yep. So a little bit of an inside joke in there just to even out the panel, but it works. It's a it's a perfect little gag. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we move on, and then we get Hawk and Clutch in the vamp, headed to G.I. Joe headquarters, uh, and they, they make a point of... The well, first making a point of the fact that Hawk is in charge, but also making a point of we better double time it in here because the generals are serious 
and something big is happening. But we get a you know a great comic rendition of the vamp. Yep. It's it's not really off model at all, as it would from time to time be in later issues. It, uh, although it does to, look a lot like uh, the the vehicle from Halo. In yeah, these it looks shots. like a warthog. Yeah, warthog. <laughs> but but it does still look like the vamp. And, and right. uh, uh, later on, I think we would even have variations of the vamp that seem to have a gunner's chair behind the gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but here it's pretty straightforward. Pretty much our 1982 vamp. Uh, and then we get an explanation of the pit, uh, the concrete, you know, the depth of it. And we get a panel that, to this day, this is one of my favorite panels of the G.I. Joe Combat Training Center. Yes. I I tried to recreate this using styrofoam and cardboard yes. so many yes. times in my, li- in my <laughs> living room, in my bedroom. Now, for the, for the kids today who may not appreciate such things... When you say styrofoam, <laughs> the, one of one of the greatest things in a child's life was when your dad bought a new like television or stereo or whatever that came with those styrofoam pieces that held it in place inside the box. And you could not wait to get that piece and figure out how many levels it would make in a base how many compartments it could possibly have where a computer bay might be yep yep and, and even even your your larger transformers toys if you had yeah. those yeah they yeah. all came packed in styrofoam and immediately the first thing when i got ultra magnus out of his package i'm like all right here's where the computer goes yep uh, i'm gonna put some chairs in here yeah this is gonna be cobra's little bunker yeah, that was we we all had bases and outposts and whatever else that were those styrofoam packing pieces from, you know, electronics appliances whatever. That that was the best. Um Okay, oh, so and so we've got a a, a martial arts platform, three different firing ranges, a uh a little gymnasium type area uh we have yeah Yeah, right (laughs) this giant bubble that we find out in the next page is actually breaker uh in there we're doing what what is happening in this bubble he's meditating (laughs) he's doing some combat (laughs) meditation (laughs) floating in you know in in a liquid sure sure i'm sure some sort of like saltwater bath I, I guess he's got, but you're right. It totally is just the back to tank from Empire. <laughs> so going back to comics at the time, as we talk about like comics that were tie-ins with toy lines, one of the things that stuck out about these pages in this comic, yes, they're dropping the names of the Joes so you know who the characters are, but I'm assuming Larry Hama knew throughout this story we're going to show you what their specialty is so we're going to give you their name but we don't have to kill you with exposition because yeah like if yep. you go back and you look at marvel comics transformers number one oh it's the worst legit, <laughs> there is a panel like with all the autobots and it's like you know 
I'm super strong. That's why they call me Ironhide. I'm the smallest <laughs> of them all here on Earth. That's why they call me Bumble. Like, it was literally like, we are going to... T- all the Toyan comics did that, and it was like, oh my gosh, they have to spell it out for us. And this didn't do that. It's like, here's their names, and we're just going to keep the story moving. Well, when I was a kid, G.I. Joe and Transformers were my two big toy uh, obsessions so i had started reading the gi joe comic and i was like oh yeah there's a transformers comic too let me go get that one and i got like a reprint of issue one and it was one of the worst like after reading gi joe the transformers comic just pales in comparison yeah Uh, the artwork's terrible it's inconsistent the storytelling is inconsistent the and and yes they did all that stuff like they were clearly just using it to sell toys and even even at like you know nine years old that was obvious to me Mm -hmm. well and it's funny you say that because in in the late 90s when i was filling in my gi joe collection uh i would obviously also come across transformers comics and i i I think I had the first Transformers miniseries when I was a kid, and that was about it. I, w- I was just never as into Transformers. But I came across them when I was buying my G.I. Joe comics, and I thought, well, heck, I might as well get Transformers as well. Uh, and I picked up some issues and and pretty much ended after the first batch I picked up. I was like, I can't even read these. Well, they had the... And not to get off on a big Transformers rant, but you know they they had the the initial miniseries. They introduced Spider Man in issue number three, and then when the series ends, the show the, that's when the comic actually got good. Was when they brought in like Shockwave and the Dinobots and stuff like that a few issues in. But like for that first four or five issues, it just was not good. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we get the generals. have handed it over to hawk hawk is very clearly in charge he's laying everything out to the joe team who are getting some you know some nice panels we we get a a hologram of really what looks like what we've come to think of as cobra island but it is not cobra island it is an island with a spanish fort yes which uh, you you knew larry was like eventually i'm gonna get these guys an island full time yes yes <laughs> like he, exactly. he's he's like eh, i like that concept in the first issue let's yeah. play with that a little bit more we, going we forward. need to get back to the island thing for these guys uh and a few panels later we get our first look at cobra commander which is very interesting because he looks absolutely nothing like the cobra commander action figure right uh, we wouldn't even get a figure that looks like this until like the nineties, right? No, it was eighty four. They released the the. Well, they the, did hooded Cobra Commander, but he it, but he was in he didn't the regular have outfit. all he this wasn't in, livery like, the and like all this business on him. Like yeah. I feel like we really didn't get a Cobra Commander that looked like this, right? Yeah, the one that was this until much later on, uh, which I like. I like a Cobra commander that has is somewhat garish and has covered himself with metals and, and things like to me, that's something that's very Cobra commandery. Yes. Well, and um, that's it earlier in the issue, whenever we're first in the Pentagon, they have one panel where they're commenting about the legions of Cobra. And when you, you know, the screen they're looking at, Cobra is like having this parade. Like yes. there's this Cobra trooper on a horse. So 
it's like Cobra isn't just a terrorist organization. It's almost like Cobra is it's an entity. nation. Right. And Cobra right. Commander is its ruler. Uh, so, yeah, I like this version of Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I would love to see uh, a classified update or if they just wanted to do an o-ring but i I, we do not know nobody knows whether hasbro will do a hooded cobra commander why they won't if they won't nobody actually knows that information there's tons of speculation we don't know the answer but i would love to see this exact cobra commander uh in action figure form in some way shape or form uh then they go on to say this is baroness uh don't turn your back on her unless she's dead which is a great phrase. Uh, and then they talk about Dr. Burkhart and we get into some of the interesting conflict that would really resonate throughout the entire run of GI Joe of boy, this lady is awful and really hates the military. However, it is our job to protect her freedom to hate the military. Yes. Which was a heck of a concept for a six, seven, eight year old to be taking in. And definitely, you know, I, I think of, you know, I, I absolutely think of Larry Hama as one of the fathers of my psyche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he absolutely shaped my worldview. Yeah, and I'm it's it's actually kind of surprising that it's Scarlet's kind of the one that's pushing back. Um, well, and actually, she's she's expressing Snake Eyes's concern about how is this one person more important than yes, yeah. yeah. Why aren't we just bombing? Right. Them and, and handling this. Because these are the characters that we would come to later know as some of the most sensible members of the Joe yes. team or Snake Snake Eyes and Scarlet. And they're the ones that are conveying this. And Hawk's like, no, we're the good guys. Well, even Stalker uh, initially is one of the guys who's like, why don't we just take her out? But in later issues, when they deal with Dr. Burkhart again, Stalker is the one saying, no, we're here to protect her freedom to feel however she wants to feel. Right. So there are. You know, these characters do, well, I guess Larry Hama gets to know these characters and develop them further as the series goes on, because there are some different outlooks in this issue than there were later on. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get this great, great uh, dialogue from Hawk, where he says, we're soldiers. Our job is to follow orders, to do the impossible. And make it look easy. <laughs> and that is just cool. <laughs> uh, so now we get Cobra just being generally awful to Dr. Burkhart. We get this really interesting. There are two instances of this in the comic of the Cobra salute, which yeah. is uh, left hand on the chest, right hand in the air in a very, very seek highly <laughs> manner. Which was, I think, abandoned after this issue. Well, no, we actually discussed it when we were uh, reviewing another issue because I think Major Blood does it in an issue to Cobra Commander. Uh, Because I remember bringing it up saying, this is a little Sieg Heile for for a G.I. Joe comic. And I can't remember which issue it was that we were were reviewing, but it was... Yeah, I'm trying to think back to what issues we've even talked about. But, uh, wow. And well, and also... That's another thing is the interpersonal relationships in some of these are very interesting to me because I know personally in my headcanon, Destro has always been an independent party. He's the weapons manufacturer. 
But in the comic, he's very much just a cobra. Now, that changes later on. Mm -hmm. But the first 50-plus issues of the comic, he is literally serving Cobra Commander. Now, he you know has his own plans or whatever, but he is a part of the Cobra organization. He mm -hmm. doesn't branch off until later on. So it's interesting to me to see how these dynamics change and to go back and 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 see uh, again like things that I don't even remember the, them being that way and and the thought of major blood saluting cobra commander in that way who is major blood is an independent mercenary right the uh this when they when they introduce cobra in this next in this panel or on this on this page because the page before we'd split the first couple um the first half of it is still hawk doing his debriefing and the second right. half is when we're showing like the exterior of cobra island and the exterior of the windows and we bring us to this next page and it's such a departure from the previous pages where we're seeing all the military and the greens and now we're getting blues in your face and reds in your face and yellows and it's like this panel is so it's it just so like brings out like, oh yes, these are these bad guys. This is like, this is the color that they represent. And yeah, so you, yeah, yeah. You immediately kind of get it right in your face. Yeah. The, visually, this is diametrically opposed to what we've been seeing for the past, you know, 14 pages or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a completely different organization. They have a big giant cobra up on the wall. They have this, and, and even the the setting that they're in, yes, they're in the Spanish castle, but they have all this technology around them, this bizarre chair that they've got Dr. Burkhart <laughs> strapped into. Uh, it, it's an entirely different thing. Uh, so we move right into G.I. Joe's assault on not Cobra Island. We have very Although it does say Cobra Island on the page before that. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, 2015 hours, the north coast of Cobra Island. Um, this one panel, though, with this heavy Cobra artillery, what the heck are these things? Are these like, are these tanks? Are these just cannons? What are we looking at here on this panel where the Cobra troopers looking through the binoculars, like directly back at one of the Joes? Yeah, they look like they almost look like they're yeah, vehicles, was, but it's it's hard to tell. Yeah, they're all they kind of cannons. that muted gray color, and it, like the one, it almost looks like there's maybe a troop transport. I don't know. Whatever the case, it's kind of cool looking. I like it. Uh, but we get the first appearance of the jump with Stalker, and boy, just taking out these Cobras. Although I did, as an adult, whenever I reread this, Stalker is in this little raft with the rest of the Joes with the jump on. And he would have blasted off from that raft. My assumption. every single one of them. My assumption is that he got on the very side of the raft and jumped off so the raft is motorized it's moving forward he gets okay. on the side jumps off to the side and the second the raft is clear he ignites the jump so so that it's just over the water it's fine it's all fine 
that's how we suspend our disbelief. That is yes. correct. Uh, and I also goes, like that that drawing, the artwork of them in the raft. Yeah, there are the silhouettes. There are, there are pieces of those when we come to identify with those Joe characters. Breakers chewing his gum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Short fuse is just lounging, chilling back, like <laughs> like no big deal. Um, and I always associated like I didn't think the whole gum thing came in until like the first Springfield kind of story with. Oh yeah, Breaker. yeah. But it's here so, right from the start. Yeah, yeah, I mean he's putting it in his mouth in an uh, in an earlier panel when they're first introducing like where like where they're all going to be on the team i like uh scarlet with the helmet on yeah and scarlet's yeah. got a helmet on she's actually got one that like matches her her yellow uniform uh earlier i think uh-huh. but yeah she's wearing a helmet quite a bit in this and i i've always liked the scarlet and the helmet look well and fortunately super seven is doing it with the yeah. uh scarlet ultimate mm-hmm. yep uh, so we move on. Stalker's cleared the beach. We see that the Joes have a plan, but we also see that Cobra Commander very clearly has a plan as well. He's not that disappointed uh, that his troops got routed. As a matter of fact, he's surprised that they aren't all dead. Right? I, I love the ruthlessness that is being portrayed on the side of Cobra. Uh, so we get a look at the Cobra troops that are inside the Spanish fortress that Cobra Commander is kind of holding in reserve uh, to use against the Joe team. We have a number of tanks that, aside from the fact that the top part is a dome, look very much like the Mobats. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got some half-track vehicles that I thought were very interesting uh, that I guess are sort of troop transports uh, and then just tons of Cobra troops with Cobra flags. Just, just so, just so you know that you're on their island, but yes, we're marching in with the flag to uh, to clue you in on who we are. So we get a little specialty business here because we discover that the cables that need to be severed are surrounded by pipe, uh, and who is going to be able to sever uh, get through that pipe? But Flash, our laser specialist. That's right. He will save every one of us. Uh, that's what i want i whenever they do a gi joe classified series flash just go ahead and give him a a sam jones portrait (laughs) i'll be a-okay with that uh and i like the detail here after after flash has cut through that uh insulating pipe the next panel he like he's got sweat just pouring down his face that's such a nice touch um So the Joe's plan is moving forward, Scarlet and Snake Eyes, which, by the way, Scarlet, wait, and and at this point, Snake Eyes is a commando. There is no hint of ninja to Snake Eyes. Scarlet, on the other hand, has the throwing stars, has a look that's very different from any of the other Joes. She's coming across as much more of a sort of specialist ninja type person in this issue. Then on what is page 20 of my book, and who knows what it is in either one of yours, (laughs) but we get a hydrofoil transporting a Mobat tank and and presumably other pieces of equipment, but this big, gigantic hydrofoil that, like, there's not enough to it for me to really wish we'd get a toy of it, 
but at the same time, I just love a hydrofoil. Yeah. Like it's Indeed. the it the hydrofoils and hovercrafts in the 80s, like nobody, no young people today will understand <laughs> the cool yeah. value of hydrofoils and hovercrafts. Because I actually saw it and did go, man, I wish we had got that. Yeah, well, not yeah, that yeah, it would have floated, in, but well, back I'm in the day, a sucker for an, a vehicle carrier. Back in the day when it would have been thirty dollars at <laughs> <True>. most. Yes, <laughs> right. I would love to have it, but now looking at the size this thing would have to be, it would be like a two hundred and fifty dollar vehicle, probably. Now you figure it's about what three times the length of the Mobat. So yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, it it could but, be scaled down a little, little but yeah, it's yeah. still going to be. I mean, honestly, look, if they were going to make it as it appears in this comic, it would be the size of the sail barge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody's buying some generic like transport <laughs> hydrofoil for if the sail barge was sold now, it would probably be six hundred dollars. So great to have not gonna happen uh so cobra commander i love his presentation in this he is you know i i love i love the sunbow cartoons we all do but in the comic he is a very different villain he is a menace he is threatening he plays chess he sees he's uh for the most part several steps ahead of the joe team and and tends to have now this first issue doesn't play out exactly that way like typically at the end of an issue cobra commander says you know well it looks like we've lost but in actuality that was part of my plan now, this issue doesn't end that way but like that's how he's presented here as a threat and as a tactical genius uh it's a very different representation that I really appreciate and, and tends to be kind of my preference for how I think of the guy. Uh, so we get a lot of really cool action here. Uh, once again, we get short fuse specifically using his mortar. Uh, we get stalker, we get grunt. What's interesting in later issues, stalker is very much one of the commanders of the Joe team. In this issue, Hawk is the only one that's really very clearly in command and everybody else kind of just gives everybody else orders. Yeah. But especially for, you know, Grunt, who you think of as he's the he, right. He's the bottom of the barrel when it comes to Joe's. He's the Grunt. His and name. Stalker's an officer and he's or I guess Stalker's a sergeant, but he's still you know, he he, he outranks him by quite a bit. It, it is odd. You know, now I'm 55 issues deep into the series it is very odd to me to see grunt say stalker lay down some cover fire as we make tracks and stalker to say you got it grunt like that's weird yeah uh but in this issue again uh he's figuring out the dynamic he's he's seeing where the characters fit he clearly has not really fleshed anybody out at this point uh breaker I'm sorry, not Breaker. Uh, Clutch hasn't sexually harassed anybody yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Do, do, do. Moving on through the comic. I love the group shots of the Joes and the, the care that is taken to make them look distinctive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just, just little things like the glasses on, yes. uh, on short fuse. And, Which, by yeah. the way, Super 7... 
Can we get short fuse with glasses or or Hasbro, depending on what you're going to do with O-rings? Mm-hmm. Short fuse with glasses would be a great thing to have. We get a little bit of a kind of a precursor to the silent interlude uh, on this page as well, because you get some shots yes. of snake eyes sneaking around and sneaking mm-hmm. out some cobras. Which in this context, he's being commando-y, not ninja right. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a little bit more from Dr. Burkhart, where she's uh, very, just kill me. I don't want anybody to die on my behalf. Why don't you go ahead and just kill me? Why aren't they just blowing this island up? Like, her, her pragmatism is is very interesting in all of this. I, I'm a big fan of her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get another uh, pretty uncomfortable Cobra salute. <laughs> And then we get the deployment of the 1982 vehicles, the Ram, the Mobat, the Vamp, and the Howl deploying out of this hydrofoil. And the bottom corner of what for me is page 23, I can picture this panel selling me on a HasLab Mobat. (laughs) We have talked about how the Mobat is kind of basic, not the most exciting vehicle ever. Uh, But we have also discussed options for making it a little more uh, interesting as a potential HasLab or just any kind of vehicle. But I'll tell you guys right now, when I saw this panel and I pictured in my head the potential for a classified scale Mobat, like uh, this picture but featuring a classified scale Mobat with classified figures around it. If they were to do this to market a Mobat to me, I would fall for it in a second because (laughs) how cool would that look? Like you can picture one of the nice diorama pieces that they do with a big giant one twelfth scale Mobat just plowing over some Cobra emplacements. Yes. Like, Oh man, take my money now. That would just look awesome. Uh, Or if they just want to upgrade, like we've talked about it before. The Mobat is somewhat underwhelming. However, you could plus it up, you know, put a hatch in the front, uh, do a different turret that's actually enclosed. Do do a few different things. Make it a, basically a little bit more like the Mauler. And I'm on board. So anyway, I just saw that panel, and that's kind of what went <laughs> through my head. Is like, man, something that dynamic. I I do want a new toy tank. Because what's the last? You know, thinking about it, what's the last tank we got? They don't do tanks. The, they do armored transports. They do vehicles. What was the tank from the uh, Valor versus Venom? Uh, the we... the what was it called the the Liberty Twelve or something? I don't. Remember yeah, it was, it was something called. extremely American. Yeah, very, uh, oh, the Patriot. <laughs> the Patriot. Yes, there's the Grizzly Patriot. Grizzly, yeah, Patriot Grizzly. <laughs> right, right. I think that's the last tank we got, and that's yeah. great. I mean, aside from. The re-releases in the 25th anniversary where they just recolored the Mobat or whatever. Right. Um, but like we actually need a new tank. I want a tank. Mm-hmm. Give me what I want. Give it to me. <laughs> I want it now, Hasbro. <laughs> 
Uh, so earlier on, Cobra Commander's talking about his plan. He's enacting things on the island, and he deployed troops to a fishing village that's located on the island. And they murdered everybody in the fishing village. In this comic book that is meant to sell toys to six-year-olds, <laughs> there is a fishing village full of dead people in this panel. And this is the kind of stuff that Larry Hama has time and again, including on the Needless Things podcast when we uh, recorded a live panel with him at Dragon Con. It was very, very important to him to show the dark side of war. Right. Uh, that people didn't always parachute out of the planes, that people didn't always dodge the bullets, that there were casualties, that there was fallout, that there were consequences. Uh, and right here in issue number one, we have this innocence that were murdered as a result of this conflict. Uh, and I think that's very important and something that's ongoing throughout the entire run of real American hero. But then we move right. Well, we get a really cool uh, overhead shot of the Mobat and the Hal taking on some Cobra tanks, which by the way, these Cobra tanks, uh, very cool. I like these big domes because it basically yeah. is the bottom portion of a Mobat, but the top is this cool dome looking thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but Joe, we get a cool overhead scene uh, of Joe taking out those tanks. Uh, and then on the very next page, we get rock and roll. Uh, I'll play him a solo, a blast from the past called Wipeout, which is a direct refer reference, obviously, to the song Wipeout, which anybody under the age of uh, 35 maybe <laughs> doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. Check it out. Wipeout, great song. Not the Well, the Fat Boys version is great as well. Yeah, right. But, uh, you but know, the, the original, original Safari's version. Yes. Uh, yes. Phenomenal uh, song. Uh, so we get when then then we find out that the Doctor Burkhart that is in this very interesting Cobra. Uh, what's what's the term for these cars that cart dignitaries around? Like there's a specific term. Uh, but anyway, this, limousine. Uh, well, there's it's uh, there's a I can't think what it is, but it's like an old timey vehicle, like a Rolls Royce or something, or a uh, what what is the one from. Uh, Anyway, this is not the real Dr. Burkhardt. It's the Baroness. The first time we see her utilizing her master of disguise skills, she's a decoy while the actual Dr. Burkhardt is being smuggled off the island uh, by Cobra Commander. So we get finally to the Spanish Fortress. Uh, we have Cobras popping up out of the ground. We have the Mobat blasting through the front of the, front of the fortress. Uh, we've got the Vamp hauling the Howl around. Lots of action, lots of great stuff. Snake Eyes and Scarlet are still inside waiting for their backup to arrive. And they run into Cobra Commander, who has put on now his battle helmet, uh, trying to escape with Dr. Burkhart. And they're they're between a rock and a hard place. And what does Scarlet do? She actually takes one of those throwing stars from her glove that's on the action figure and throws it right at Cobra Commander. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I yeah. love it. And when you look at the way that they drew it, I mean, it goes into his arm. It's like halfway in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, and they they even illustrate blood a few mm-hmm. panels later from where Cobra Commander, because in all the confusion of the Joes entering the base, uh, all the warfare, Scarlet uh, trying to, because Doctor Burkhart gets shot. Uh, she's gonna be okay. She's gonna be okay, <laughs> but she does get shot. Uh, so in all the confusion, Cobra Commander escapes, but he has left a trail of red blood on the ground behind. Uh, the Joes, uh, he gets away. The Joes get in this big Cobra transport helicopter, fly off the island. The fortress, which has been naturally, what villain worth their salt does not have a self-destruct uh, system built into their fortifications? So, of course, the fortress blows up. The Joes escape. They're very uh, but... sad about their vehicles, though. Yes. Which, which yes. I love I love this because we are only introduced to, like, you get, we got one vamp, we got one Mobat, we got one uh, Ram in this, in, this, in this issue, and they get blown up, but there's a line about, like, don't sweat it. General Lawson's going to be able to, like, get us a bunch more once, yeah. we, once we show up with our, with, you know, with our cat our, our rescue here right mission accomplished yeah so that's great because now we have carte blanche to just have buy tons of those vehicles <laughs> yes absolutely and then we have baroness and cobra commander escaping uh shall i plot a course for our true headquarters commander yes this endeavor has ended in failure we must rest for now uh, so they've set up Cobra will return. And like I said, it's a little bit unusual because typically at the end of the issues, uh, Cobra commander has said, well, the Joes think they've won, but really it's just laid the foundation for my next plan, which was a very smart thing that Larry Hama did as, because as we know, he wrote these issue to issue, right. He never knew where it was going to go. This is it's this is jazz, baby. <laughs> uh, so this is a fantastic introduction to the concept of G.I. Joe and Cobra. This is such a dense story, too, to you know, yes. it's packed into what, 25 pages of actual comic panels for this first part of it we're not even getting to the second part of it yet the hot potato that's in the second yeah we've got to we've got to save hot potato for another day so i actually think like this 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 could be a feature-length film you you could you could flesh this story out into one like 90 minute long movie very easy yes Or, or uh if you're a 2007 television show you could crank this out to three seasons yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this it's it's just beautifully illustrated. Uh, the action from panel to panel is very easy to follow. Uh, the characters visually, you know, we don't really have personalities at all yet, but visually, care was taken to make them distinctive. They function as a unit, uh, and. You know, we really only have the two bad guys, Baroness and Cobra Commander, but they are portrayed as unrelentingly ruthless and evil. Yeah. There there is nothing they're not cool in any way. They're just evil. Uh, which I like very much. And then we have Dr. Burkhardt in the middle, who is uh caught up in this conflict and and really again is establishing the layers that would we would see later on in in the GI Joe comic of morality and 
and and liberty and what liberty really means. Uh, so reading this again, were there any new takeaways for you guys? As cheesy as it might sound, it is, it does not feel dated. I want to say it's timeless um, because reading it, there were parallels with the doctor character that I was drawing to some of the political landscapes of today and thinking, gosh, you know, in elementary school, I was too young to understand sure. or see some of those things. So now as an adult reading it, these are just outlooks and, and issues that people have had, man, throughout history. Yeah, they, I mean, they never go away. It's all cyclical. It all comes back yeah. around. Uh, what what they, was relevant 40 years ago still is today. And to your point, the way that Hawk is treating her as far as this is our job, this is what we do. Yeah. I just felt like, man, that is just such a strong, good message. And that's something I would like to see more in G.I. Joe media moving forward. It, well, and it's a very smart way to address things because uh, you get a lot of points of view in one comic. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it, the story that's being told does not represent a singular point of view. Right. Right. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, Noel, any, any final thoughts about this one? No, just uh, I, I try to go through and reread at least the first few story arcs every couple years just to, you know, just to keep myself familiar with them. And so when we decided to do this, I was like, yeah, I'm happy to jump in and, and reread this again, because, it, again, it, it it never gets old to me. This is such a a great I mean, this would have been if this was the only story they ever told in the G.I. Joe comic, it would have been it would have been perfect. Yeah, um, if this know, had just been like a pack-in yeah. with the vehicles or something. Yeah, this is just a one-shot, then it would have been one of the best one-shots in, in comics history. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to to launch from this and get the just the the complex storytelling that you know we we eventually got in these in these comics. Um, and and you can see where seeds were planted in this. You know, it's it's still yeah, a little yeah. a little rough around the edges, obviously, because I mean, you you've heard we've all heard the story of how Larry got this gig. It was basically because nobody else wanted to do it. And, uh, well, and he had his uh, was it Fury Force? Yep. Yeah. What was basically loaded up and ready to go, and he just put this GI Joe skin on it. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it what he wound up, you know, developing. You know, he, creating characters that he loved you know he he grew to love the characters that he created for what was essentially just being used to sell toys to children well and they i mean they were many of them based on people he knew yeah uh and and he did his we'll we'll do a deeper dive into uh the comics and and how larry hammer wrote them uh, at some point but for now th this is an exemplary 
first issue of a comic book. I think it's one of the all-time great number one issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, take away the fact that it's a toy tie-in, and I think it's still just a phenomenal first issue of a comic book as far as introducing a concept and characters and engaging the reader. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, just so much ambition for it. Again, this is... They could have they could have just as easily made this just a, a, t- a throwaway book. It was like, all right, yeah. here we go. We we know that there's going to be a certain audience for this. We don't really have to work on on great artwork. We don't really have to work on great storytelling. And so many other comics fell victim to that laziness, but this sure. one was was a rare exception. And there's a certain timelessness to it. Uh, reading it now. You know, I go back and I read a lot of my favorite comics from the 80s and the way that they are written, the way that they read, they feel very dated or they feel very of their era. This reading it, uh, it, it, it while it does not feel like a modern comic, it also doesn't feel as dated and stuck in its time as a lot of comics from that time do. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I think we've... Uh, discussed this as thoroughly as we possibly can and it is time to move on welcome to knowing is half the babble where each of us gets some time to talk about anything that we want uh, Noel, do you want to kick us off this month? Sure. Um, this is uh, one of those things that it, maybe uh, I was today years old when I learned type thing. Um, but I was just going down a rabbit hole of some like bootleg toy lines. And uh, I came across something that I thought was kind of odd because there was apparently a line of three and three quarter inch figures from the 1980s, uh, O-ring style. And they were called gung-ho international security force and i was like what well that's crazy why is there a series of toys that came out in 1986 called gung-ho and then i started researching it gung-ho was released by lenard toys in 1986 they've been around that long yes and because they decided we're going to do a line of toys that are essentially ripping off G.I. Joe. And we're going to be so bold as to use a G.I. Joe character's name as our toy line and even use another character's name as uh, of Junkyard as one of our figures. Um, so Hasbro shut that down pretty quick. Wow. And out of that came the core, which, of course, we've all known and loved for the last, you know, almost 40 years now as the core has been around in various forms throughout the life of gi joe as well so uh yeah um if you just look up uh lenard gung-ho um you'll find some resources you'll see some some pictures of those toys and uh just the marketing genius at lenard toys who just decided we're just going to steal a character's name because Gung Ho had been around since 1983 i remember this <laughs> i remember this packaging like as soon as it popped up, like my brain, like the neurons ignited, and I remember this gung ho. I don't remember cow. it, but I want this river assault craft. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's some, and you know the 
Leonard has done some kind of cool toys that are com- you know, compatible with GI Joe throughout. Oh, the plenty years. of their vehicles have been yeah. really awesome, especially um, yeah, especially those vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, my babble is I got to once again, I want to talk about our Instagram audible interlude podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of great uh, people that we interact with over there. And I put when I posted uh, about Tomac Samot and Stalker moving up to November 3rd for their ship date, uh, silent interlude commented. I heard someone say they thought Hasbro was telling all the retailers to give the worst case scenario date for pre-orders and we would probably get them sooner with a little thinking emoji and a grinning emoji. And of course, he's referring to the fact that I said this months ago. Uh, So silent interlude. Uh, Thank you for listening to the show. And thank you even more for acknowledging my genius. I will always appreciate that. Uh, Christian, what do you want to babble about? Would you also like to babble about what a genius I am? <laughs> uh, no, I actually want to take a, a quick moment and babble about Fiona. So I did finally get my Croc Master. Um, and I don't know if Hasbro intended for this, uh, but being a Florida boy, have a little bit of a familiarity with gators. And uh, the articulation on Fiona, where she can raise her head up. Right. I don't know if you guys are actually familiar, but when a gator is super ticked off, they will almost bend their head up like at a 90 degree angle from their body and they will bellow and it causes all the water to bubble. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, again, I don't know if that's what Hasbro intended, but the fact that she can practically raise almost to that point, I was like, oh, that's the kind of detail that those little tiny attention to details that excite me. Yeah. Um, So for all you folks out there, yeah, if if you want to put Fiona in angry gator pose i think that's what it's for <laughs> that's fantastic yeah these these animal figures uh that they're doing are are unbelievable and i i do have you know all we've seen so far are renders for polly but i do have high hopes that polly is going to be a little a little bit more than than what we saw in that render more more than just a slug we've come uh, a long right. way since the days of rubber dinosaur from the uh the oh dino hunter dude <laughs> i want a classified series dino <laughs> dino dino hunter is that what it was yes. dino hunters yes yeah i want classified series dino hunters and a big giant dinosaur but proportionally I want it to look exactly like that dinosaur, <laughs> right? But just to have classified series articulation. <laughs> uh, all right, you guys, uh, that wraps it up for this week. Our music is by Andy Samford of electricminnowmusic.com. You can follow us on Instagram at audible interlude podcast and Twitter at G I Joe audible Christian. Where can we find those wonderful pictures? You can find me on Flickr.com and Instagram under Legion Cub. And Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about the finest? 
the finest is an international G.I. Joe costuming club, and uh, we raise money for a great charity called Canines for Warriors. So if you see us at a convention, uh, drop a few bucks in the bucket and maybe pick up some cool swag while you're at it. And if you ever thought about dressing up like a G.I. Joe character, we're the place to go if you want some uh, some advice. Um, and uh, it's a great place to join. Well, you guys, thank you so much for once again sitting down and talking about G.I. Joe. And as always, yo, Joe. Cobra. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.